You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is a story of contrast. We begin with Elizabeth, who, when her husband heard the angel Gabriel say his wife would give birth to a son, reactively described his wife as getting on in years. And now Zachariah is back home after his time of service in the temple, still unable to speak. But just like Gabriel promised, Elizabeth became pregnant. Now, we're not given her reaction to the news. There's no hint of whether she laughed or cried or did both. Only that she put herself into self-imposed seclusion. I like how the King James Version puts it. And she hid herself for five months. And that kind of retains the fullness of the Greek word there, which means to conceal on all sides or entirely to hide, seclude. And there's no reason given for her isolation. Perhaps she'd been around for a while. She knew the difficulties and tragedies of pregnancy in her day. She may have been afraid that something would go wrong, that those first few months are so fraught with danger for both the woman and the child, and maybe her age might complicate things. Or maybe it was just a difficult pregnancy with all the discomfort of morning sickness and swollen ankles. Or maybe she knew all the neighbors were talking about her. And it just seemed too much for her to take on for herself while Zachariah was unable to come to her defense. Or maybe, just maybe, like Zachariah, she recognizes the wisdom of being fully present in the moment that she's experiencing. And she's just awash with the wonder at all the changes that are happening in her body each day. Regardless of the reason, Elizabeth gives herself five months of quiet, which sounds delicious, doesn't it? And she settles into this new reality that she who had longed hope for a child will soon be a mother. And now in the sixth month, Gabriel makes a second appearance, once again bringing news of an upcoming pregnancy, this time not to an old man, lighting incense in a secluded sanctuary of the temple who can't quite wrap his mind around the possibility. No, this time Gabriel is sent up north to a small town called Nazareth, to a young woman engaged to be married. And we see that he's polished up his approach since his last encounter with the old priest. 
you may remember the first time before Gabriel even says a word, Zachariah is terrified, overwhelmed by fear at the presence of a divine messenger in the sanctuary. So this time Gabriel steps up, he clears his throat, and he starts with a word of blessing to Mary. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And the Greek word that's translated there as greetings is often a word of address upon meeting someone or upon leaving, sort of like a all hail or be well, salutations. But it also holds within it more. It has the connotation of good cheer, of joy, of being glad, of rejoicing and delight. Think of the Hawaiian word aloha which is a word of greeting or of leaving, but that also has a fullness to it, the meaning of love and peace and compassion wrapped up in it. This word greetings, favored one, is like that. Be joyful. Be of good cheer. Now, this change in Gabriel's approach doesn't seem to make a difference in the reaction of his hearer, it used to be translated that she was much perplexed. That's how the New RSV translates it. But it's more than just being perplexed at the New York Times wordle puzzle of the day. The Greek is closer to greatly troubled or greatly agitated. So like Zechariah, the old priest, this young unmarried virgin of Nazareth is shaken up by the appearance appearance of the divine messenger Gabriel and so he hastens to reassure her, don't be afraid don't be afraid and gives her the news that she will give birth to a son and she will be the one to name him Jesus Joshua and again like Zachariah Mary pushes back questioning how this is going to happen how the mechanics of all of it and Gabriel answers her question and then shares the news of her relative Elizabeth and her pregnancy. For nothing will be impossible with God, Gabriel finishes, which we may remember from earlier this year, echoes the question that God poses to Abraham when Sarah laughs at the news that she, an old woman, will give birth to a son. Is anything impossible for God? And with that, Gabriel disappears. Mary says yes to this most life-changing proposal. And she heads out to the hill country to see Elizabeth, rushing into the house and greeting her. And Luke writes that the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Oh, boy. <laughs> Nothing like an elbow or a kick from a baby to get a pregnant mom's attention, right? The 4th century church theologian and preacher John Christentum begins a sermon on this scene in Luke's gospel this way. He writes, As soon as our Redeemer was come among us, he, he went with haste, while he was as yet in his mother's womb, to visit his friend John. And John in the one womb, as if conscious of the presence of Jesus in the other womb, dashed himself impatiently against the narrow walls of his natural prison, as though crying out, 
I perceive the very Lord that gave nature her bounds. Why therefore should I wait for the due season of my birth? What need is there for me to linger here till nine months are ended now that the timeless one is with me? I love that. <laughs> I love that. John Christensen imagines that it was Jesus in utero who couldn't wait to visit his friend John. And that six-month-old fetus, John, is so thrilled to be in the presence of Jesus saying, the timeless one is with me. What he's doing in this dramatic reimagining of the scene is pointing us to the underlying joy in the story. And it's Elizabeth who first names the joy, recognizing in that kick in her belly, effervescent joy. With a smile, I imagine she offers Mary a good word, word beginning with those familiar words, Blessed are you among women. I can't picture this story without an embrace between the two women. One old, the other young, but both filled with expectation. They need each other, don't they? Mary, who has rushed to Elizabeth's house seeking a place of safety and welcome, she's at the beginning of a long journey, and she longs for the wisdom and the support of the older Elizabeth as she just begins to sort out what is happening to her and how she's going to respond. She knows that God is at work doing a new thing in the world and that she will be a central figure in this next chapter. But I think Elizabeth needs Mary, too. She spent five months in seclusion with a husband who cannot talk to her. And all that time, she's been wondering what part she is playing in God's larger work. And then Mary shows up at her door out of breath, throwing her arms around Elizabeth's neck. That's a sign of confirmation, I think, for Elizabeth that all that she's been going through is seen by another human being. That her life is important. Despite all the discomfort and the trouble, regardless of the worries which have been swirling around in her mind and weighing on her heart, she finds herself connected to the young woman, to the hope that's forming in Mary's belly. And in that connection, she finds joy. Elizabeth goes on to say, For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. There's joy there. In the kick in the belly, in the flutter of one's stomach, the joy that catches your breath when you realize you're in the middle of a story bigger than your own. That you, you are in the presence of the sacred. For six months, Elizabeth has been experiencing her own private, complicated joy. A future which she had long given up for herself is now becoming possible. And yet her tears of sorrow, while not forgotten, have been wiped away and are in the midst of all the other emotions that she's feeling. 
the worry and the trepidation and the weariness. And now with Mary at her doorstep, Elizabeth experiences another dimension of joy, not for herself this time, but for another human being, this young pregnant woman she's embracing. In her book, This Here Flesh, Cole Arthur Riley writes of joy being necessary for our well-being. She says, Joy, which once felt as frivolous as love to me, has become a central virtue in my spirituality. I'm convinced that if we are to survive the weight of justice and liberation, we must become people capable of delight. And people who have been delighted in. And that's just what Elizabeth does in our story today. She delights in Mary and in her pregnancy, her situation. Elizabeth offers a word of blessing and welcome, affirming the joy she feels in that moment. And then she stops. And she makes room for Mary and for her experiences. Just beyond our verses today, Mary will speak, and not just speak, Mary will sing a full-throated song of hope that will not be denied. But that's a story for another Sunday. We'll get there. Mary stays three months with Elizabeth. Those first three months of pregnancy when one's body changes in amazing and shocking ways, and when morning sickness may get the better of you at any time, day or night. What a gift it must have been for Mary to have a safe and welcoming place to settle into this unexpected pregnancy, to have time to ride out all those hormonal changes with another human being who can share those experiences with her and to begin to make sense out of all that is happening in her life. You see, the two women need each other. In each other's company, they discover sanctuary, I think, a safe haven, a place to give and receive blessings, a space for delight. I have recently migrated from the old social media platform formerly known as Twitter to the newer one called Threads. I'm leaving behind lots of really interesting people, historians and biblical scholars and artists and museums and all sorts of fun stuff that I love to follow, but it's just a dark place right now. There's too much drama and there's not enough joy. So I'm on threads and I don't have very many, I'm not following very many people, but as you begin to follow other accounts, the algorithm learns a lot about you. It learns what you like. And then it starts to suggest accounts that you might want to follow. And it's been intriguing for me to see at the very beginning how my interests intersect with other accounts. So early on, I followed Jonathan Capehart, who's an associate editor at the Washington Post. And every day, regardless of whatever else he posts, 
Every day he posts the name of the day of the week with a little short video clip of someone dancing. <laughs> and I just love it. It makes me laugh. It's one of the best things of my mornings to see which dance Jonathan Capehart has posted. And I wonder if those little clips of people dancing had anything to do with last week threads suggesting that I follow this account called Gurdip Pander of the Yukon. Because all of a sudden in my feed, there were these posts of a dark-skinned Sikh man smiling broadly as he dances and jumps outside in the snow wearing flannel and really, really Canadian snow boots. <laughs> and this starts showing up on my For You feed. Threads was right. It knows me. And eventually I was so intrigued that I clicked on his profile and I found his YouTube channel. And it seems that 20 years ago, Gurdip Pander immigrated from India to Canada and then eventually settled in a remote area of the Yukon. And during the pandemic, he began to send videos of himself dancing in the snow to his friends. And then he learned that they were sharing it with other people. So he created a YouTube account and he started posting these images, these videos of him dancing what is known as a bhangra dancing. It's a folk dancing from, um, from India and Pakistan. And then in two, 2022, he decided to make a trek across Canada dancing at iconic places. So I think he started on Vancouver Island and made his way across, or it may have been the other way around. So he was dancing, posting these dances. People would meet him and dance with him. He learned how to square dance in one small town. It was just this amazing series of videos. Gurdip Pander shares his Bhangra dancing, he says, to promote joy, hope, and to build cross-cultural bridges he said in a recent post this week, in times of darkness, we yearn for sunshine. In moments of sadness, we search for joy. Joy for each other has the power to unite us and eradicate hatred. Now that's the kind of social media account I need. <laughs> Somehow a dancer in the Yukon has found a way to share joy around the world, to lighten the load, to build connections through joy. In our weariness these days, as we hold our private worries tightly in our hearts, joy may feel elusive, out of reach. But the story of Mary and Elizabeth, I think, is at its core a revelation of the power of connection for us. That connection can sustain us when we need it, and it can bring us joy. As Cole Arthur Riley reminds us, we can and we must become people capable of delight and open to being delighted in. May we find the gift of delight this season, a gift that welcomes us in and gives us voice. Thanks be to God.
Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.